Welcome back to People's History of the Old Republic, episode 6.12, The Golden Age of the Old Republic. Last time we said our fond farewells to Knights of the Old Republic 2. Now we take a stroll down memory lane, get sad about the cancellation of KOTOR 3, and start talking about the Old Republic MMO. I'm Luke, that's Kelsey, there's always a bit of truth in legends. Uh, real quick podcast business. This episode is going to be a little different than usual. We're going to interrupt the narrative to do a quick overview of the stories we've covered during the 50-year period from 4000 to 3950 BBY, since it's the end of our run of the most beloved and well-known stories in the Old Republic. Then we're going to discuss everything we know about the story and cancellation of KOTOR 3. And lastly, we will talk about the Old Republic MMO and how the show will cover its immense amount of content. This episode will likely be shorter than our recent episodes because we'd like to get the show back to the original length of 45-ish minutes now that the KOTOR games are over. Uh, also of note, after this episode, the narrative will go on hiatus as it's difficult to write episodes when you're chasing a two-year-old full-time due to a quarantine. However, we will be bringing back the hiatus episodes on general Star Wars topics. We want to do episodes on Season 7 of The Clone Wars, Rebels, the new video game Jedi Fallen Order, and more. If you have ideas for episodes you'd like us to do or subjects to cover, please email or message the show on Twitter. And don't worry, we're not going to forget about the Old Republic MMO. We know some of you really love it, and we will be back with Series 7 eventually. To tide you over, we're doing a video commentary for the five uh, Old Republic cinematics next week. The cinematics are one of my favorite things from Legends, and I'm excited to uh, laugh about them with Kelsey. The video commentary will be published on YouTube, and we'll post links on Twitter and SoundCloud. We'll also publish the commentary track as a podcast episode, but uh, note that it is meant to be watched with the cinematics. So, And with that, the end of KOTOR 2 means the end of the 50-year period from 4000 to 3950 BBY that included four galaxy-spanning wars, the Great Sith War, the Mandalorian Wars, the Jedi Civil War, and the Sith Civil War. Of the 50 years in this period, known as the Old Sith Wars era in-universe, 27 of them were consumed by war in the Outer Rim and Republic. Over this 50-year period, the Republic went from a stable expansionist political regime that was beginning to move into the Outer Rim to a crumbling shell of a government that was a month from breaking it completely. During the old Sith Wars era, the Jedi went from having thousands of knights with Jedi watchmen in every Republic system to a completely broken order composed of six brand new initiates who had about three weeks of training and two or three stray masters. Meanwhile, in 4000 BBY, the Sith were a galactic afterthought with no members and within 50 years, they had been reborn twice, nearly conquered the entire galaxy three times, and purged the Jedi to less than 10 members. 
Needless to say, it was a horrific time in galactic history where quadrillions of beings died and saw the total destruction, either via literal obliteration or scouring of life, of dozens of planets. This includes Ossus, the unnamed worlds in the path of the supernova wave from the Kron Cluster, Yavin 4, Jebel, Sirocco, Eris 3, Duro, Terrace, Telos 4, part of Dantooine, Qatar, the unnamed worlds that Darth Nihilus consumed on the edge of space, the remains of Paragus 2, and Malachor 5, twice. It seems like a gross understatement to say that this 50-year period was a time of great strife, but for us, the fans, this was the golden age of the Old Republic. This period concludes six of eight arcs of Tales of the Jedi, the entirety of the KOTOR comics, KOTOR 1, KOTOR 2, and each game's respective prequel comic. It's the time when the most popular Old Republic stories occur, and when we meet heroes like Ulic Keldroma, Nomi Sunrider, Zane Carrick, Revan, Bastila Shan, and Mitra Surik, and villains like Ulic Keldroma, Exar Kun, Revan, Malak, Nihilus, and Trya. Since we're done with KOTOR 2, we decided to do a recap of the Golden Age from episode 3.1 to episode 6.11. Way back in episode 3.1, which was 37 episodes ago, narratively speaking, and like 51 total episodes ago, we said that the 50 years from 4000 to 3950 would be the core stories we wanted to tell. This is not a slide against the Great Hyperspace War, anything that occurs in the Old Republic MMO, or the new Sith Wars. It's just that the most well-known and beloved Old Republic stories happened during this time period. It began in 4000 BBY with the first arc of Tales of the Jedi, Ulic Keldroma, and the Beast Wars of Onderon. Three young Jedi, brothers Ulic and Kay Keldroma, and Tot Donita were sent to the Onderon system by their master Arkajeth to quell the Beast Wars engulfing the world. After the Jedi arrived, Beast Riders attacked the Royal Palace and kidnapped Princess Galea. The three Jedi immediately left in pursuit of Galea, but it turns out the kidnapping had been a ruse so that Galea could marry Oren Kira, the son of the leader of the Beast Riders. The Jedi find out that Queen Aminoa and her entire line are under the thrall of the Dark Side, led by the long-dead spirit of the Dark Jedi, Frieden Nad. The trio of Jedi switch sides and join the Beast Riders who make a final attack on the Royal Palace. All looks lost until Master Arkajeth arrives and lends his battle meditation to the Beast Riders who take the upper hand. Jeth arrives in the throne room and casts out the dark side, which kills Queen Aminoa, who had given herself fully to the dark side. Galea is crowned Queen of Onderon, and her marriage to Kira unites the Beast Riders and Royalist factions, bringing peace to Onderon. Next, we move to Tales of the Jedi, the saga of Nomi Sunrider, which occurs in 3999. In this story, a young, force-sensitive woman named Nomi Sunrider must overcome her disdain for lightsabers and violence to save her daughter after her Jedi husband was killed by thugs. Nomi travels to Ambria to work with Jedi Master Thawne, a sentient, bearded Triceratops who smokes a hookah. Uh, that's 
that's real, by the way. Uh, Sun Sunrider learns that she is very strong in the Force and adept at using battle meditation. Eventually, she learns that Jedi use their powers for knowledge and defense. Takes up Thon's lightsaber, saves Thon from some th- some thugs, and becomes a Jedi Knight. Tales of the Jedi: The Frida Nad Uprising occurs in thirty nine ninety eight, and things have not improved much on Onderon. During the funeral procession for Queen Aminoa, dark side cultists attack. Stole the sarcophagus of Freedom Nad, captured Master Arkajeth. Cultists are led by Nad, Spirit, and Galia's father, King Amun, who was believed dead. Jedi send a task force of five knights, led by Nomi Sunrider, to Onderon to aid their besieged comrades. Despite an oppressive dark side pall that covers Onderon, Sunrider's task force and her use of battle meditation are enough to turn the tide. Sunrider's task force combines with the Keldroma brothers and taught Donita to storm the cultist compound. At the very same time, cousins Alima and Satal Kato, who led the Krath Dark Side cult in the Empress Tita system, travel to Andron to learn more Sith magic. As the Jedi storm the compound, Master Arca is rescued, King Amun is slain, and the cultists are wiped out. However, the cousins Kito escape, and the aftermath Nad sarcophagus is interred on Duxun. Ulik Kaldroma and Nomi Sunrider begin to fall in love. Fourth arc of Tales of the Jedi, Dark Lords of the Sith, takes place in 3997 BBY. The Krath repelled a joint Jedi Republic fleet invasion of the Empress Tita system. Alima Kito's powerful Sith magic heavily damages the fleet and causes a retreat. Later, the Krath attack the Jedi Conclave at Deniba with undercover war droids. During the fighting, Master Arca is killed by a craft droid while saving Ulik's life. Elsewhere, a fallen Jedi named Exar Kun duels his master and then flees to find knowledge of the dark side, eventually encountering Freedon Nad's spirit on Duxun. Eventually, Kun killed the spirit of Nod after visiting Korban and then proceeded to Yavin 4. Ulik attempts to infiltrate the craft and destroy the dark side from within, but is captured, tortured, and injected with a Sith poison. During a failed Jedi rescue attempt led by Nomi Sunrider, Ulik killed Satal Kato, giving in to the dark side. Later, Ulik and Exar Kun duel to see who will be the Dark Lord of the Sith, but the ancient spirit of Marka Ragnos appears and anoints Kun the Master and Keldroma the Apprentice. Tales of the Jedi, the Sith War is the fifth arc of the series and covers the Great Sith War in 3996. Ulik Keldroma and his lover, Ali Makito, secure the services of Mandalorians and obtain a fleet after a daring raid on Republic shipyards at Forest. Meanwhile, on Ossus, Exar Kun convinces 20 gullible Jedi students to take him as their master and kills Master Odin Ur to steal the, to steal the only known Sith holocron. With the Republican Jedi reeling, Ulik, Alima, and Mandalore lead a daring strike against Coruscant that was almost successful until Alima secretly betrayed Ulik at the last moment. Mandalore the Indomitable uncovered her treachery and warned Exar Kun, who went to Coruscant and rescued Ulik from a war crimes tribunal. 
Kuhn then dueled and killed his old master with a double-bladed lightsaber on the floor of the Galactic Senate. Exar Kuhn allowed Ali Makito to detonate a Sith superweapon in the Kron Cluster, which caused the system's 10 stars to all supernova simultaneously and created a galactic firestorm headed straight for the Jedi homeworld of Asus. Kito and a disciple of Kuhn's named Kredo were both killed instantly. The Jedi rushed to evacuate as many artifacts and people as possible, but Exar Kuhn, Ulit Keldroma, and their forces arrived to loot the planet in the confusion. Ulit Kildrum is forced into a duel with his brother Kay, eventually killing him in anger, only to immediately realize the error of her ways. In her anger, Nomi Sunrider permanently cut Ulit off from the Force. Exar Kun escaped, but Ulit, having renounced the dark side, led the Jedi to Kun's secret base on Yavin 4. More than 1,000 Jedi attempted to perform a ritual that would cut Exar Kun off from the Force and end his reign, but Kun was also preparing a Sith ritual, and when the two interacted, they started a moon-wide firestorm that destroyed pretty much everything on Yavin 4. Exar Kun's body died, but his spirit remained. Meanwhile, the Mandalorians were defeated by a Republic fleet above Onderon with Mandalore dying on Dexoon. The Great Sith War killed trillions and was the impetus for many of the big changes that occurred between Tales of the Jedi and Knights of the Old Republic 1. From 3995 to 3993, the Jedi participated in the Great Hunt which was the attempted cleansing of the galaxy of all Sith spawn creatures unleashed by Exar Kun and his servants during the Great Sith War. We learn more about it from Shadows and Light, a one-shot prequel comic for the Knights of the Old Republic that takes place in 3993. We see the Great Hunt has been extremely successful with only one known Tarantatech left to kill on Korriban. Three Jedi Knights, the best Tarantatech hunters in the Order, are called in for one last secret job. The group begins to break apart when two of the members, Duran Keldroma and Shayla Nur, fall in love to the chagrin of the third member, Gun Han Suris. Gun Han left the lovers on Korriban and went in search of a rumor to attack on Kashyyyk. During their hunts, all three Jedi are killed. Their bodies and journals can be found by Revan in KOTOR. The eighth and final arc of Tales of the Jedi Redemption takes place in 3986, you didn't miss the 6th and 7th arcs. Those are the two prequel arcs that tell the uh, Naga Sadao and the Great Hyperspace War in 5000 uh, before the Battle of Yavin. Redemption tells the story of the Ulic, of Ulic Keldroma's redemption a decade after the end of the Great Sith War. Ulic hides in the remote ice world named Renvar to wait for death, but he's found by Vima Sunrider, Nomi's daughter, who believes her mother isn't teaching her enough. Meanwhile, Nomi realizes Vima is missing while Sal- Silvar, a Cathar Jedi, hunts for Ulic, who she blames for the death of her life mate, Krado. Silvar wants to execute Ulic for his crimes. Ulic reluctantly agrees to train Vima, and he does an excellent job, even helping Vima build her first lightsaber. Eventually, Nomi tracks Vima to Renkar and finds that Ulic has been a great master and is a changed man. Silvar also arrives on Renvar and Dulik's duels Ulik, but stops before executing him and giving into the dark side. However, Ulik is shot and killed by the pilot who brought him and Silvar there, dying in Nomi's arms before disappearing and becoming one with the Force. You can hear the entire rundown of the main Tales of the Jedi run in Series 3, Episodes 3.1 to 3.7. 
From 3995 to 3976, the galaxy was nominally quiet as the Republic went through a restoration period. The peace was shattered when the Mandalorians began their conquest of the Outer Rim in 3976 by taking Althir. The Battle of Althir started the Mandalorian Wars, which would last until 3960. For 12 years, the Mandalorians terrorized and occupied the Outer Rim, devastating worlds and stripping them of resources to fuel their expansion. Despite trillions of deaths, the Republic and Jedi each refused to get involved or aid the Outer Rim. By 3965, the Mandalorians began encroaching on Republic space in the Inner Rim and then launched a full-scale invasion of the Republic in 3964. The Republic mustered all its forces but for the first and only time in galactic history, the Jedi did not aid the Republic in a war. We didn't have any stories set during the early years of the, of the Mandalorian Wars, but the wars serve as the backdrop for the KOTOR comics. Since there are something like 18 arcs in the comics, we will only hit the high points. Commencement, the first arc, uh, takes place in 3964 and introduces Zankaric, a Padawan with marginal control over the Force, who is framed for the murder of his four fellow Padawans who train together under five masters on Terrace. The murder was actually committed by the five Jedi Masters in a misguided attempt to stop the rise of a Sith Lord. Through some hijinks, Zane evades the Jedi Masters and escapes Terrace in a junk hauler with three new friends, a snivying con man named Griff and two Arcanian offshoots named Jeryl and Camper. The narrative arc of the comics follows Zane's attempts to clear his good name and Jeryl's attempts, attempts to learn the shocking truth about her past. Later in the Flashpoint arc, Jeryl is captured by Mandalorians invading the Republic who mistake her for a Jedi. One of the Mandos, named Roland Dyer, stowed away on the junk collar and helped Zane track Jeryl to Flashpoint Station, where a mad scientist named Dr. Demigol performs experiments on, on Jedi. Zane and Roland liberate the Jedi within the station, including a human male named Alec. Zane and his crew pull off capers and heists while trying to clear Carrick's name and helping those in need along the way. Through a series of adventures, Zane and his friends discover that the five Jedi Masters are known as the First Watch Circle and are all members of a secret sect within the Jedi known as the Covenant. However, their attempts to reveal the truth about the Covenant are stymied by the wealth of and prestige of its leader, Krinda Dre, the mother of Zane's Jedi Master, Lucian Dre. After two of the five members of the First Watch Circle die, one of them agrees to clear Zane's name and help take down the Covenant. During the Vindication arc, the Covenant plot was revealed. Hundreds of Covenant members across the Order were activated simultaneously, cutting off communications from the Jedi High Council. Covenant members gathered Sith artifacts, killed non-member Jedi, took control of a Republic fleet AI, and retreated to the Dre compound on Coruscant. Zane and Griff make it inside the Dre estate, and Master Vruklamar, in his only decent act ever, led the loyal Jedi in assaulting the compound. The Covenant then turned that fleet AI on Coruscant, causing death and confusion. Inside the compound, Zane finds out that Krinda Dre's retainer, Hazan, is a wannabe Sith, and he's been masterminding the Covenant actions for years. Zane and Lucian duel, but set aside their petty squabbles to defeat Hazan. 
Zane is thrown to safety by Lucian, who seemingly sacrifices himself in a final orbital blast that destroys the Dray Estate and kills Hazen. Zane's name is cleared, and he's invited to rejoin the Jedi Order, but declines for the time being. In the single-issue arc Mask, which takes place in 3963, we learn how Revan got his name and trademark Mask. On Cathar, an old Mandalorian mask retrieved by Revan gave the assembled Jedi a simultaneous mass force vision of the Mandalorian genocide of the Cathar people. Revan took the Mandalorian mask, vowing never to remove it until he had avenged the Cathar and stopped the Mandalorians. Discovery of the genocide forced the Jedi Council to allow the revanchist Jedi to enter the war against the Mandalorians. During their adventures, the group uh, came across a slaving syndicate called the Crucible that trains enslaved uh, enslaved beings to fight for their lives in gladiatorial arenas. Eventually, it is revealed that Jeriel was once in the Crucible after having been kidnapped as a child. She then fought her way to became to become a trainer to protect protect other children made to fight. The trainer Jeriel defeated was named Shantique, and she held, a, she held a grudge for more than 20 years, becoming the leader of the Crucible in her hunt for revenge. Jeriel took Roland Dyer and went in search of answers about her past, and Zane took Griff and went to Coruscant for the war crimes tribunal of Dr. Demigol, the Mandalorian mad scientist who tortured Malik at Flashpoint Station. However, Zane and Griff discover that the man they believe to be Roland Dyer is actually Dr. Demigal, who drugged Dyer on Flashpoint Station and switched armor with him. The crew didn't know because neither Dyer nor Demigal ever removed their helmets in front of others. Zane and Griff abduct the real Roland Dyer from the War Crimes Tribunal and escape to go find the fake Roland Dyer who is with Jeriel. Meanwhile, fake Roland Dyer reveals himself to be Antos Wirik, the headmaster at the school Jeriel grew up in before she was abducted. Jeriel, not knowing that Wirik is also Dr. Demigal, is overjoyed because she remembers Wirik as a, a surrogate father. The two agree to travel to Asadia to see if they can save Jeriel's other abducted classmates. Though Dyer's ex- through Dyer's exposition, we find out the truth about Warwick. Before he tortured and experimented on Je- Jedi as Demigol, Warwick attempted to breed for sensitive children using the children of Arcanian offshoots spliced with the ge- genetic material of Jedi Master Arcajeth. It didn't work at first, but Wirik thought he had solved the issue with Jeriel and her classmates, who Wirik believed to all be Force-sensitive. However, Wirik also bought slaves from the Crucible and even used his own daughter, Shantique, as payment because he hated her. Later, the Crucible attacked and abducted the children from Osadia, and Wirik then became the mad scientist, Dr. Demigol. On Osadia... Jariel and Wirik fight through the Crucible as Zane and Roland arrive. Zane apologizes to Jariel and helps her fend off Shantique, who is out for blood. Shantique is being driven on by the dark side power emanating from Exarkun's lightsaber, one of the Sith artifacts stolen by the Covenant that Wirik stole in an earlier arc as a gift for Jariel. When Shantique makes it outside, she's stabbed in the back by her father, but then reveals that she systematically killed all of Wirik's former students, and buried them in the schoolyard as revenge for being sold to the Crucible. 
In the schoolyard, Zane reveals that Jariel isn't Force-sensitive, but Warwick and his daughter both are, which explains a number of coincidences through their journeys. Warwick was obsessed with creating Force-sensitive kids, but sold the only one he ever had, who was also his daughter. After this, Shantique lunges toward Warwick to kill him, but Antos uses the Force to call Exarchoon's lightsaber and ignite it in Shantique's stomach. However, Warwick forgot about the second blade, which impaled him through the stomach. Father and daughter died at the opposite ends of a cursed lightsaber. In the end, Zane patches things up with Jariel and reunites her with her birth parents. At the very end of the KOTOR comics, Zane and Jariel start up a romantic relationship. There's also a follow-up six-issue miniseries for the KOTOR comics called War that features Zane, but it's weird and not really applicable to anything else, so let's just skip it. You can hear all about the KOTOR comics in Series 4, Episodes 4.1 to 4.9. Canon Alerts 41 and 42. Exar Kun and the name Keldroma were canonized by name in Gadgets and Gear, a 2019 sourcebook for the Star Wars tabletop RPG. Exar Kun is said to be a possibly mythical Sith Lord who created the first known double-bladed lightsaber in canon. Kun's tale is told in a set of in-universe stories called the Keldroma Epics, though all we know about them is that Exar Kun appears and wields a double-bladed lightsaber. Later in 3962, the Republic began to turn the tide of war after the Mandalorians invaded as far as Duro. Revan eventually drew the Mandalorians into a trap above Malachor V in 3960, where Jedi General Mitra Sirik ordered the activation of the mass shadow generator, killing hundreds of thousands and creating three wounds in the Force. Immediately following the battle, Revan and Malak took the Republic fleet into the unknown regions, leaving the Republic largely defenseless. After consulting five hidden star maps, the Dark Lords located the Star Forge, an ancient superweapon foundry, and proclaimed a new Sith Empire with Darth Revan as the master. Thus, the Jedi Civil War began, with Revan's Sith Empire winning a number of victories and conquering more than one-third of the galaxy. In 3957, Jedi and Republic efforts began to turn thanks to the use of battle meditation by Bastille Shan. In early 3956, the Jedi and Republic lured Revan and Malak into a trap. Bastille successfully captured Darth Revan after he was betrayed by his Sith apprentice, Darth Malak. Revan was taken to the Dantooine Jedi Enclave, where his memory was erased and he was programmed to believe he was a regular Republic soldier. The Jedi hoped that doing so would allow Revan to lead them to the Star Forges the Republic couldn't match the Star Forges' output of new ships. In late 3956, the Amnesiac Revan was a crew member aboard the Endar Spire, Basilis Shan's flagship, when it was ripped out of hyperspace above Terrace by Darth Malak's flagship, Leviathan. So begins Bioware's 2003 RPG, Knights of the Old Republic. We're not going to cover all of KOTOR since we just did a series on it, but we will hit the high points. Revan and Carthonassi managed to escape the Indar Spire and make it to the surface of the planet below thanks to the sacrifice of Trask Olgo. They are chased by the Sith, who seek to cap- 
capture Bastila alive. Through a series of side quest adventures and fights, Revan and Karth find Bastila Shan and make a plan to escape by stealing a fast ship named the Ebon Hawk. The gang takes the ship and barely escapes terrorists before the entire world is reduced to rubble by an orbital, orbital bombardment. The group then makes their way to Dantooine, where Bastila speaks with the Jedi Council and is discovered that Amnesiac Revan is strong in the Force. Due to a strong Force bond, Bastila and Revan share a vision of a ruin on Dantooine. Upon investigation, they find it contains one-fifth of a star map leading to the legendary Star Forge. Armed with this knowledge, Revan and Bastila are tasked with finding and locating the Star Forge using four other star maps on Tatooine, Korriban, Manan, and Kashyyyk. During these travels, the Iban Hawk is captured by the Leviathan, and it is revealed that the player character has been Revan the whole time. We're underselling a little. It's a pretty big reveal, but we also did a whole episode on it. Aboard the Leviathan, Bastila allows herself to be captured so Karth and Revan can escape. Revan must come clean about his past to all the companions, while Darth Malak turns Bastila to the dark side through a week of torture. Eventually, Revan finds all five star maps, and the Ebon Hawk travels to the Star Forge before crashing on Rakata Prime. The Rakata are an ancient species who built the Star Forge more than 25,000 years ago, but lost their connection to the Force and their galaxy-spanning empire fell. Revan aids the Rakata and gains access to the Star Forge after dueling Darkseid Bastila, who escaped. As the Bunhawk arrives on the Star Forge, the Republic fleet arrives to fight the Sith, but they begin to lose due to Bastila's battle meditation aiding the Sith. Revan eventually finds and duels Bastila before redeeming her through the love they share. Bastila then applies her battle meditation to the Republic ships, who begin to win the space battle. Meanwhile, Revan duels Darth Malak in the Starforge command center with Malak using captured Jedi to replenish his health. After an impressive duel, Revan kills Malak and escapes aboard the Ebon Hawk before the Republic destroys the Starforge. On Rakata Prime, a medal ceremony is held for Revan and his companions, the saviors of the galaxy. You can hear more about KOTOR in episodes 5.0 to 5.10. So ended the Jedi Civil War, but the Sith Civil War began immediately thereafter in 3955. The Jedi were hunted and scattered by the newly formed Sith Triumvirate, who used the first Jedi Purge to decimate the Order. In 3952, Darth Nihilus dealt the biggest blow when he appeared out of nowhere and consumed all force and life energies on the Miraluka colony world Qatar, where the Jedi were holding a conclave. The only being to survive was Amir Luka, known as Visus Mar, who Nihilus took back to his ship as his apprentice. This left about seven active Jedi in the known galaxy, and the event was illustrated in the one-shot KOTOR 2 prequel comic Unseen Unheard, which we discussed in episode 6.0. Uh, that takes us up to KOTOR 2, which we really aren't going to rehash since we literally just finished the game last episode. Suffice to say that the Jedi exile Mitra Sirk returned to the known galaxy after being exiled by the Jedi in 3959. Sirk found a new teacher in the ways of the forest, gathered a bunch of companions, and did some good in the galaxy. 
by visiting Dantooine, Telus, for Korriban, Onderon, Duxun, and Narshida. Surik and her crew were able to stabilize the rapidly decaying Republic, restart the Jedi Order, and save the galaxy from death. After defeating her former teacher Darth Treya at Malachor V, Surik followed Revan into the unknown regions, searching for the true Sith threat. If for some unknown reason you're listening to this episode but haven't listened to the rest of our series on KOTOR 2, you can find it in episodes 6.0 to 6.11. And that brings us up to 3950 BBY present day in our Old Republic narrative. From here, the narrative moves into content for the Old Republic MMO and all its tie-in novels, short stories, cinematics, and comics, most of which occur more than 300 years after KOTOR 2 ends. However, as you're no doubt aware, there was supposed to be a third KOTOR game that would have shown Revan and Cirque's fight with the ultra-powerful, fabled Trusith Empire. The end of KOTOR 2 heavily implied the true Sith would return and fight a war to end all wars. So what happened to turn KOTOR 3 from a sequel into an MMO set 300 years later? Unfortunately for storytelling purposes, the long and short of KOTOR 3's cancellation is that real-world business issues at LucasArts and BioWare doomed the game. Prior to official cancellation in 2008, The game had a story, designs for most locations, characters, and even items, according to designer John Stafford, who worked on KOTOR 2 and The Force Unleashed. It's almost certain that KOTOR 3 was cancelled internally in 2006 or 2007, more than a year before it was officially announced. So a considerable amount of pre-production work had been completed before business and financial obligations caused the cancellation by LucasArts. BioWare was also undergoing big changes between 2005 and 2008, having received a large infusion of venture capital to build a new studio to make MMOs before later being acquired by EA. According to the Art of the Old Republic, BioWare actually approached LucasArts about doing an MMO set in the Old Republic era. It also appears Obsidian would have played some role in developing KOTOR 3. BioWare owned the intellectual property to the KOTOR games, but Obsidian designer Chris Avalon was also involved to some degree. We know this because Avalon gave an interview last year that gave us a plethora of new info. Prior to this interview, we knew of Stafford's comments, the official reason for cancellation, and two pieces of concept art. One of a floating city on the planet of Talaran, and the other was a woman named Narisha, who wore a red dress and carried a lightsaber. That's it. Sure, there were rumors, but there was very little concrete info out there, at least until Avalon was interviewed by VG247 and gave a generalized summary of the plot. The player character would catch up with Revan and face ancient monstrous Sith Lords who show back up in the galaxy and begin conquering it quickly. Avalon said the Sith Lords have considerable power, but the player would be able to dig into their psyches and backgrounds. The game would center around finding clues using environmental clues on worlds devastated by the Sith Lords of old. Avalon closed the interview with, quote, The Old Republic are out there. We just didn't get a chance to do it. And, quote, Let's hope someone gets that chance in the future. (laughs) 
So it's not a lot, but it's way more than we had. Unfortunately, that wasn't the only KOTOR 3 news of 2019. After Kotaku uh, published a report on the problems that plagued Bioware while developing the video game Anthem. The report states that management dangled the possibility of finally developing KOTOR 3 above Bioware Austin staffers as an incentive to get them to work crunch time hours. Outside of the reprehensible labor code violations that this implies, they also dangled KOTOR 3, and that just makes it even worse. Despite these juicy tidbits, it's really hard to talk much more about KOTOR 3, not because there's a lack of interest, but a lack of general a general lack of concrete information there's no hidden nefarious reason behind the cancellation of kotor 3 it was simply the victim of bad real world world timing but that doesn't mean we can't engage in a bit of wild speculation about the game's plot some of which was incorporated into the old republic mmo in KOTOR 2, Kraya described an empire based on Sith teachings in the unknown regions called the True Sith. Since the end of the Great Hyperspace War in 5000 BBY, the True Sith have been biding their time to retaliate against the Republic and Jedi. Kraya said the leaders of the True Sith Empire wield power far greater than any Jedi or Sith in the galaxy and described the coming True Sith war against the Republic and Jedi as the battle to end all things. Combining this with Avalon's comments about the game, and it seems that the player character would have followed Revan and presumably the Jedi Exile into the Unknown Regions. However, the true Sith would still have invaded the galaxy and started conquering large amounts of territory quickly. The invasion uh, would have to be a few years after 3951 because the Republican Jedi were both in shambles at the end of KOTOR 2. The player character and their companions would seemingly have to visit different worlds the true Sith Lords hit to find clues to stop future attacks. We can only assume that the player character would meet up with old and new companions, bringing them along for some adventures aboard the Ebon Hawk. Revan and Bastila could be reunited, we'd witness some suitably tragic events and be forced to make some morally questionable choices to save the galaxy. But enough of reckless speculation. It is time to bid a fond farewell to the golden age of the Old Republic and start getting into the decline and fall of the Old Republic. Sure, the uh, KOTOR games are great, and that's probably why you're all listening to the show. But it doesn't mean we can't have a lot of fun watching the Old Republic Jedi and Sith crumble between 3950 and 1000 BBY. We can't discount the Old Republic MMO. Without it, the show would only have like 10 to 15 episodes left on the new Sith Wars before the end of the narrative. Of course, moving on to Star Wars The Old Republic also means we have to contend with the game's frankly overwhelming amount of tie-in content. In addition to the base storyline and the game's five major story expansions, there are four novels, three five-issue comic arcs, five cinematic trailers, and no less than 17 short stories. The base game itself also features eight classes, each of which has its own unique storyline, companionships, armor, and weapons. The game also came with an in-universe 12-part timeline narrating the events leading up to the game. Hell, the game has more or less continuously released new content from its 
released in December 2011, to the new update released in February 2020. Since Disney wiped the canon in 2014, Star Wars The Old Republic has been the only source of new Legends content, and once it officially ends, that will likely be the end of new Legends stories. So we have to find a way to do this staggering amount of content justice. Rest assured, Star Wars The Old Republic fans were not going to treat the game like a redheaded stepchild despite its reputation as something of a soap opera. Because while much of the storyline is zany on its best days and it suffers from severe power creep, it's still Old Republic content and has contributed to the new canon. Indeed, the Old Republic symbol used in the MMO was later included as the official canonical Old Republic symbol found inside an old ship in the Season 5 episode of the Clone Wars animated series. It also happens to be the symbol behind the Fotor lettering in the logo for this very podcast. What does all that mean? Well, it's a lot of content, and there's no way we can cover it all, much less cover Star Wars The Old Republic like we covered the KOTOR games. Uh, There's too much dialogue, too many dependent choices, and no canonical class or playthrough to guide us. So we'll have to make it up as we go along. When the show comes back from hiatus, we will begin Series 7 with an episode that introduces the characters, state of the galaxy, and sets up the Great Galactic War, which begins in 3981, even though the game's story doesn't begin until 30, um, not 3981, 3681, even though the game's story doesn't begin until 3653. The, uh, the episode will include everything from the Sith Emperor's birth all the way back in 5113 BBY to the events of the Revan novel and even the difference between the Sith that we've seen up to this point and the true Sith featured in the MMO. After that, we will proceed through a timeline of the major events of the Great Galactic War from 3681 through 3653. This will cover everything from the Sith liberation of Korriban to the sacking of Coruscant and the signing of the Treaty of Alderaan. After that, we will break from the timeline to look at all eight unique classes and their storylines. Then we will pick the timeline back up in 3653 and move through chapters 1 through 5 of the game story, which will take us to 3638 in the Shadow of Revan Crisis. Then we will shift course to introduce the game's two largest expansions, Knights of the Fallen Empire and Knights of the Eternal Throne, which span 3637 through 3630 BBY. These expansions shift the focus of the story drastically from a conflict between the Jedi and Sith by introducing a third, far more powerful faction, the Eternal Empire of Zakul. The Eternal Empire is led by Valkorion, who is actually another host body for the Sith Emperor's spirit and his children, Arcan and Valen. Finally, we will wrap, it, wrap up by covering the Onslaught expansion, which occurs in 3630 and may very well be the last content released for Star Wars The Old Republic. If those names sounded foreign to you, don't worry, we will sort it all out so you'll know what the third Barsenthor is and how Revan lived to be more than 300 years old. If you did understand all of that, then please contact the show and tell us what storylines, pieces of lore, and events from the MMO you want us to cover. Either way, we can't wait to tell the story after the hiatus. 
And with that, thank you all for listening to this episode of A People's History of the Old Republic. Next time, we will post our commentary from the Old Republic Cinematics, and hiatus episodes will begin after that. You can follow us on Twitter at Photorpod or email us at photorpodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments, and we will answer them on the show. I'm at AthertonKD on Twitter. And I'm at LucasAmazing on Twitter. Thank you again, and may the Force be with you. <laughs>